You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 253 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Um, I think we're just going to have to go with the standard fair to middling today. Val. Okay. It's a fair to middling kind of week. We're in the middle of the school holidays yep. and, you know, yeah. Okay. I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can do better than fair to middling. Fair enough. That's okay. We'll move right along then <laughs> to... Our shout out this week, and but I didn't our, get to ask how you were. Oh, I'm, don't you want to tell me? <laughs> sure, I'm great because it is school holidays. Oh, <laughs> I love person. school holidays. The traffic's so fantastic. And have you been yes, painting? I have actually. I've been painting. I did a lot yesterday. I was very productive. I think the rainy weather, you know, makes you just not want to go outside and you know, do things. So um, I stay indoors and I paint my little heart out. It's really fun. Mm. Yes. So Excellent. we will move on to our, our shout-out is to C. Jelmy. I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciations or C. Jelmy. Gelmy. Couldn't it be Gel? Could be Couldn't Gelmy. Couldn't it be hard G? Like, are we Could doing, we could have yes. the whole GIF, GIF conversation I here. know. Like, you know how there are some girls who are Jillian and some girls who are Gillian? Exactly. I think that's what we're dealing with. I would go with C. Gelmy myself. All right. C. Gelmy. I'm happy to be corrected though. C. Gelmy, if you're in our podcast community, please yes. come back to us on whether you are Gillian or Gillian. In That'd fact, be great. C. Gelmy or Gelmy, please do, if you aren't already, and everyone who isn't already in the uh, podcast community on Facebook, make sure you join. It's free to join and it's such an awesome party in there. Uh, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and um, request to join. And see Gilmi slash Gilmi. If you are in there, do make yourself known. We would love to know who you are because we want to thank you for your very kind review on iTunes. Now, it has been entitled, Can Be Hazardous While Driving. Just joking. And um, the review goes, I love this podcast. It's so inspirational. The varied interviews are fantastic. And sometimes I find myself pulling over where I can to scribble notes or write an outline for a story. I'm a sales rep. So it does end up being a little bit distracting in a good way while I'm going from client to client. Val and Al are just awesome, easy to listen to, and extremely relevant, even listening to the 2014 episodes in 2018. Brilliant, fabulous, sensational. Love your work. Keep it up. 
Wow. Isn't that a strange concept? Like, let's have a little moment to assess that we okay. could listen to our 2014 selves <laughs> right now. It'd be like a time capsule. Like have you ever listened to our? Have you ever listened to our 2014 episodes? I don't know. I think I've listened to bits of them, maybe, but I don't know whether I've gone back to 2014 this year at all. To be honest, it would be weird, right? I wonder what we were talking about at the time. Probably the same things we're talking about now. About. I honestly feel like sometimes I just wonder if we're repeating ourselves week on, you know, week in, week out, because um, I do feel like a lot of the stuff that we say is, I mean, obviously because it's what we think, feel, believe, etc. Yes. But I, I do wonder if it's the same thing. I mean, honestly, are we just talking to ourselves over and over again? And also, I wonder maybe, <laughs> do you think we were perkier back in 2014? Were we fair to middling? Well, you should be were more we as fair to middling? Was I as Eeyore be, as I am now? You should I wonder. be more than fair to middling now because of this lovely review, Al. I am. That's very true. Brilliant, fabulous, and sensational. That actually that perks me up a great deal. Yes, I'm probably feeling like my 2014 self now. Yes. That you mention it. And hmm. other things that should probably perk you up a great deal. I believe you have some news about your US readers for the Mapmaker Chronicles. Oh, I do have some news for my US readers about the Mapmaker Chronicles. I just wanted to let the US readers know that the Mapmaker Chronicles Book Four is now available. Signed copies of the Mapmaker Chronicles Book Four are now available directly off my website at alisontate.com. If you go to the Mapmaker Chronicles page, um, which is under books on the website, you will find that you can. there'll be a Buy Now US uh, link there. You can buy the book directly from me um, and I will post it out to you signed. Uh, the reason that I'm doing this is that I, it's not available through a US publisher um, at the present time. And yeah, I get a lot of emails about it because obviously kids are reading books one to three and loving them and they want book four. So I've decided to make it available um, myself. It's it's actually the most cost-effective way that I've been able to do it is to mm. actually make it available myself um, and I will post it out to you signed um, and you can order directly off my website at alisontate.com. So I hope that will be very good news for yes. some of those US readers who have been email me, emailing me saying, where do we get book four? Yes. Well, you can get it directly from me. Because in the US, they have um, books one to three are published in the US. That's just correct. Yes, they're out. Hasn't yet. Four hasn't and, come, hasn't and come out yet. readers there. Yep. are just don't want to wait. Gagging. So they they're have gagging. been emailing you. So, yeah, this is yes, a great way right. for you to get um, your copy and it's a signed copy at that. Right, let's move on to... Um, let's move on to you, Val, because okay, you... <laughs> I've created a, you've created a new thing that <laughs> I feel thing. we need to discuss. Like NaNoWriMo, which is in November, National Novel Writing Month in November, but it's not. It's Unblocktober. I know, which just cool? made me laugh so much. Unblocktober. <laughs> I got the newsletter and it was all about Unblocktober and I was yes. just laughing so much about Unblocktober that I felt we needed to discuss it on the podcast because I need to know why you wrote this particular piece for the newsletter. Well, because, you know, last year I did Rocktober, but this year, yeah, Rocktober, that's cool, huh? But this year. Oh, you're so cool. (laughs) (laughs) This year we're doing Unblocktober because we didn't want to repeat last year. So really, this is just all about making October the month where you unblock whatever it is that's stopping you from pursuing your creative adventures, you know, from pursuing the things that you're creatively passionate about. Now, those things 
can range from writing a short story to finally finishing your novel to just getting started in writing in the first place because you have this, you know, niggling thing inside you thinking, oh, that's something I'd like to try. Or it could be something different, you know, a creative pursuit. Maybe you want to make something or whatever. But often we just get into that trap of thinking we're blocked. You know, it's like how you, Al, you talk about um, people who wait for the muse to arrive and mm. just assume the muse, you always say, just assume that the muse is stuck in traffic so you need to just get on with it. Well, there are so many things that we block ourselves with and we blame it on external things. We say we don't have enough time. We say that the kids are an- annoying us or, or taking up too much of our um <laughs> We say it's because I'm not good enough or I haven't learned enough. Whatever, I don't care. Whatever your excuse is, just put it aside for now and take part in Unblocktober and it's just imagine that you have smashed through whatever that excuse is. Imagine you don't have to, you know, it's like fake it till you make it in the sense of just imagine that you're unblocked and start doing it. Start pursuing your creative pursuits and see what happens, you know. Mm. just It's like tricking yourself into thinking that um, your, your, your mojo was flowing and then mm. the surprising thing that happens is that it does. Mm. So I, I strongly encourage you, what are you going to do now that it's unblocked over? So for those of you in the podcast community on Facebook, and by the way, welcome to all of our new community members. Yes. Share with us what you're going to do for Unblocktober. You know, what is it that you're going to finally pursue? What is it that you're going to finally do? It can be big or small. It doesn't matter. And and say it out loud to the group so that you're yes. accountable. Accountability. We love mm, that. Definitely. Accountability. There's a th- it's a it's it is to some people it is a scary thing to say it out loud because suddenly it's oh what if I don't make it happen I encourage you to say it out loud anyway and you you'll see what happens I have to say it was one of the best things I ever did was to tell people I was writing a book yeah even back in the day before I had a book like even before I was you know like when I was writing my my terrible romance novels that we've discussed in depth in the past I think my 2014 self probably talked about those. Um, but it was one of the best things I ever did was actually to start talking to people about the fact that I was writing novels. Yeah. And and it, it's, it's kind of like it is a bit putting yourself out there because suddenly you've got people going, how's the book going? Every time I saw yeah. there was a certain guy that I knew, every time I saw him, how's the book going? How's the book going? And it was so annoying but <laughs> it was also it was really annoying. But it was also one of those things that made me – I I needed to – I had to have an answer for him the next time I saw him. So I was able to yeah. go, oh, good, I've written an extra 5,000 words. Or, oh, it's coming along. Or do you know what I mean? Rather than I haven't started yet or oh, it's not going or whatever. Yes. You need, you actually need that annoying guy in your yeah. life. As be annoying grateful. as they are, mm. be grateful for the annoying guy or girl. Let's, mm. let's do, let's do of both course. because, you know, they can both be annoying. Yeah. We're equally annoying. Um, <laughs> You need to. You need that person because, as annoying as they are, they are the. They are probably going to be the one that gets you going. Yeah, for sure. So say it out loud in the Facebook group. We want to see what it is that you're going to do. And there's no silly thing. It can be big or small. Whatever it is that you know you're going to do after you unblock, unblock October. All right. 
let's move on <laughs> to you. I can't have- wait to see what next October is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the idea of Rocktober? I like that. That was still really – I still talk about Wasn't it. Wasn't there a Frocktober at one stage? Wasn't there wear a oh, dress yeah, for 30 that's days? Right. Do you remember there that? was a Frocktober. I never, I never got involved in that. I didn't have enough dresses no. for that. There weren't no. enough frocks in my life. There's still not enough frocks in my life. But anyway. No. Um, I haven't heard of a Frocktober lately. So, um, but we should be at Movember soon. So, you know, we'll be lots of, we'll be seeing a lot of guys who can't be bothered shaving off their. Oh, they're terrible moustaches. Yes. But they're useful moustaches as well because they are raising money for very. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, All right. You have a link for us, Al. I do have a link for us. Now, this is on the Word Mothers website, wordmothers.com, um, which is a terrific website run by Nicole Melanson, and she has gets a whole bunch of different, you know, um, usually uh, women writers, interviews with female authors, reviews of books by women. So it's all kind of w- women-focused. But, of course, most of the stuff that is on there is obviously equal opportunity, advice, information, etc. And one of the posts that is on there this month um, – is a post by a guest post by Deborah Tidball, who is a picture book author and an extremely lovely person who I met via Twitter and then via various other things. And we, you know, we have come into contact in the last few years at various events. And I found it really interesting because just in light of the fact that Deborah and I have kind of connected over the last couple of years, because the title of the post is called How to Develop a Writing Community, A Tale of Two Launches. Um, and the post is written by Deborah on Nicole's site, wordmothers.com. And Deborah talks about the fact that in 2014, her 2014 self <laughs> launched her first picture book, which is called When I See Grandma. Yes. And she had a launch and, you know, apart from kind of some family members and friends, getting anyone else to turn up to that launch was looking pretty grim. <laughs> um, she... She, her only literary contact at that time had been with a manuscript assessor that she had found via an internet search and then email exchanges with her publisher, Wombat Books, who were in a different state. She asked a musician friend, God love her, to play at the launch, hoping that, you know, he might help pull a crowd, mm-hmm. but sadly not. And she felt really awkward about it as though she'd inflicted herself on the local bookstore owner and kind of spruiked her you know, her wares to his unsuspecting customers, which is kind of how you can feel in a bookshop sometimes, like you're kind of throwing your book at people who are really just trying to walk past. Like it's that kind of feeling. (laughs) They've only found themselves there because they're trying to get to the shelf at the back of the the bookshop. Um, Anyway, so she kind of did – uh, and then she she did stage two of the launch, which was into the story time slot at her hometown library, and that did, you know, quite well in the sense that, you know, people turn up for the story – time no matter who's on right fast forward three years and she had offers to help and host the launch of her second book she had people offering to come she had the function space at a renowned children's bookshop was packed out on the day with a mosh pit she describes um and the same handful of family and friends who had gone to her first launch were there but this time there was a whole gang of um people a community of people with literary connections and they were all there to celebrate with her and to cheer her on so what changed and this is what I found quite interesting about it because Deborah was basically she 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 made the choice that she was going to go out there and she was going to develop herself 
a writing community. Um, And obviously that particular uh, step made a massive difference to the launches of her books because the scared book has done so well. It has yes. done. It has won prizes. Of course, this is not based on her writing community, but the word of mouth around that book started well and truly before the book was launched. Mm. And so it continued afterwards. There were people there to review it. There were people there to write posts about it. There were people there to attend the launch. And she basically talks about how she got to the point of developing that writing community. And her first um, her first step was to join groups and associations. So yeah. she started develop, to develop her community online because she was able to join Facebook groups. There's a Facebook group called Just Write for Kids, which is a whole bunch of people who are writing for children. They have a website page as well, which is www.justkidslit.com. Um, and then she also started to um, attend occasional evening events because her family commitment started to change and this makes a difference mm. too if you've got younger children. So her local uh, Children's Book Council of Australia sub-branch had, you know, evening events every sort of, you know, a couple of months. So not, you didn't have to turn up every week. You could turn up a couple of times a year and then suddenly, you know, there's a whole bunch of incredibly talented industry people there. I remember going to – I was asked to speak uh, last year or the year before at a CBCA branch meeting of mm-hmm. the – I think it was the northern suburb uh, – the northern Sydney branch of the CBCA. Right. And I went to that and there was probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 people there. But I cannot tell you, like I was sitting in a line of, you know, at one stage there, I was sitting in a row of authors and we were counting up between us how many books we had had published. And admittedly, Kate Forsyth and Belinda Morell were in my row. So it was a fairly mm-hmm. hefty row. But like, there were something like a hundred books published oh my God. Between, between the four or five people that were sitting in oh, that row. So wow. you go to those meetings, you are you are just hanging out with some of the most interesting and published and helpful and generous, honestly, incredibly generous people. Um, and I have to say the children's book community, I mean, obviously that's where I am, so that's what I know, um, is an incredibly generous and welcoming space to people who are writing. Even if you're writing your first manuscript, go Mm. Meet these people, see what they do, listen to them talk. This is how you um, make connections, but also how you learn, how you go forward, how you learn about the industry. Um, So she talks about that. And then she also talks about the fact that she – likes to have fun online like she's it's you know Facebook is 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 like her workplace but she also loves Twitter and she goes to Twitter for those backs back and forths with people you get to meet people you show support for other people this is a really important thing show your support for other people on social media because it is a terrific way for them to notice you but also just to make connections with people because we're all in the same industry And so we have to support each other because this is a really, it's like, let's not pretend it's not an easy industry to be part of on so many levels. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on that you have to do, but the the people who get you through it are your people and your people are other authors who are writing in the same industry that you are. Support those people. You know, if somebody has been particularly generous to you by giving you information, by giving you advice, by giving you support, support them back. It's Mm. really, really important. And Mm. it's one of the things that Deborah actually says, give, 
don't be a silent partner. Yeah. You know, don't attend events and stick to yourself. Contribute, share, engage. The more you give, the more you get back. Her theory on life is that it's a collaboration, not a competition. And I have yes. to say that I feel like in the children's book industry, it is very much the case. Like we're all in it for the same reason. We want kids reading. And if the kid is not going to read your book, you might know just the right book for them by another author. Get them reading. Reading is the key to the whole thing. Um, mm. So, yeah, so she talks about those things and she talks about a whole bunch of other stuff um, in the post and it's really worth doing because I just honestly feel like the fact that, you know, the picture she paints between the t- between those the, of those two different launches three years apart, it's a huge difference and it just goes to show you that a bit of effort in actually creating a community, making those connections, being part of the industry that you want to be part of yep. is a really, really important um, – it's a, it's a really good post and a really important thing, I think, to take into consideration. And would what agree? would your – I absolutely agree. And I know, though, there are some people out there who there's – well, there's lots of people out there, obviously, but a, because I meet so many people who are aspiring and who want to be in this space and they understand intellectually everything you've just said, there are some people who just say that they don't they're introverts so that's group one what would you say to them and group two is there are some people who secretly feel that they understand obviously what you're saying but the I, I mean I'm a big believer in this whole being generous and support other people but I know that there are some people who actually think because I've met them that supporting other people means pushing them forward and giving and and um, making it not worse for yourself, but that it's it's they very much see these people as competition, and I know people who will not actually support their peers because that's the way they think. So, uh, of those two groups, the introverts and the people who have that strange way of thinking, what would you say to them? Well, I would say to the introverts that one of the like every second writer that I meet, in fact, most writers that I meet are introverts. Like, yes, you know, I'm an introvert true. myself. I don't sound like an introvert because I'm talking to you every week and stuff like that. But I spend an enormous amount of time by myself, and I do that because that's where I like to be. Like, it's you know, I, I it, they say introverts draw their energy from from their own space, and extroverts draw their energy from other people, like from being you know from being out in the world. Going out into the world is, ex- I mean, we've talked about this, how exhausting it is for me. And I go and I feel like I put all of my energy out and then I have to come home and I have to, you know, rock in a corner quietly for a little while. And I do that. Um, but I have to say that the internet has been the, I, I can't think of a better tool for introvert writers than the internet because you can do all of this stuff without ever leaving your office. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to make those connections in, in online spaces where you can think about what you want to say. You don't actually have to come up with anything witty, clever or whatever on the spot. You know, you can spend three days thinking about your next tweet if that's what you want to do. Um, And then the interesting thing about that is that you make connections. So you do actually meet people um, and everyone goes, oh, but they're not real people. Well, no, they are because, you know, I'm real, you're real, we're online, there's real people out there, trust me. And it means that when you go to events, if you suddenly manage to summons up the, the, you know, the courage, and please do, please summons up the courage to go to an event you know people there. 
You are not walking into a room where you don't know anyone. You can sort of pick the nearest introverted, also aspiring writer, you know, that's also thinking about going and say, how about we go together? Or why don't I meet you there at 7.10, you know, five minutes before it begins so we don't have to talk to anyone else? You know people there. It makes it so much easier when you're not having to go into those situations cold. So you kind of, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen overnight. I'm not suggesting for a minute that you're going to go online, join these Facebook groups, and by next week I'm expecting you to be at an event, you know, making small talk. I hate small talk. Can we just go there? Can you imagine small talk, me? I mean, you know, I'm good. I can do it. I, I'm there. Weather, I'm all over it. But it's really not my first choice. So if you come up to me at an event and we start talking, I am going we're gonna we're gonna go deep very, very quickly because that's just how I am. That's how I go. I'm a journalist. I start asking questions. And that is my biggest and number one tip about making connections when you go to events. You don't have to say anything. Yeah. All you have to do is ask questions. And if you ask questions, the other person's going to talk about themselves all night and it's going to be really, really fun for you because you're going to learn everything about them and then you can go home. So it's, you know, like you don't actually have to lead the conversation. Ask the mm. right questions. It's the way forward. So true. Anyway, that's a that's an aside. That's a mm. total aside. But anyway, so that's what I would say. I would say start online. I would say kind of like take little tippy-tippy steps out onto Twitter or into a Facebook group. The podcast community is a great place to start yeah. because – you're all listening to Val and I, so you've got something in common and we can talk about Banoffee Pie and hashtag <laughs> authorial blazers until the cows come home. Did you see that we're getting merch with authorial jacket on there? <laughs> I'm loving the idea of that. Um, so, you know, there's a whole – there's people there. We're creating a community for you. Get into it. Meet people. Talk to people. You know, like be 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 part of it because it, it's really inspiring if nothing else knowing that all of those other people are out there doing the same thing that you're doing. It's really inspiring. So that's what I would say to those people. Yep, the introverts. Who were those other people? You know, the, oh, the, the, ones who, uh, the ones who don't. Well, you know, the thing I find about those people is that you don't tend to hear too much of them for very long. That's so because, true. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you don't. I mean, mm. I, I, it's one of those situations where um, it's a, the 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 publishing industry in general is quite a collegial sort of place generally speaking. Um, and so it's kind of, um, you don't, you don't, you need your support. Mm. You need your people around you. You need people, um, like-minded people that um, will, will will support you all through all the things. It's, it's, as I said, it's not an easy industry, trust me. Um, and so you want to be surrounded by people who are at around about the same level. You are some up, some down, some in the middle, and you want to basically um, support each other. Like, you know, I, I promote other authors all the time and I yeah. don't feel like I do that to the detriment of myself yeah. because I feel like part of Part of the reason that I write for kids, as I said, is, is reading. I mean, I create book lists with other people's um, books on them all the time. Yeah. My book is always there as part of it because I'm writing guest posts. You know, my book is always there. But if all I did was talk about myself, <laughs> if all I did was discuss my own glory, and let's like face some it, authors glory, we know, like some authors <laughs> we know, and you know what? I'm pretty glorious. I could go on about it for a long, long, long time, but I do not because how boring would I be? Yeah. How boring would I be? So, I talk about other people's work. I talk about my own work. I talk about the weather because, you know, I'm good at that. Remember we talked about that? Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can talk about. You don't actually have to bang on about yourself constantly. And if you bang on about yourself constantly, you won't have much of a community. Yeah. 
at all. So true. All right. Well, let's move on then to our competition this week. We have three copies of Leanne Moriarty's new book, Nine Perfect Strangers. And, of course, we have previously interviewed Leanne on this podcast, so make sure you check out um, that previous episode. Uh, That was a 2014 self. Possibly. (laughs) Possibly. That was a long time ago. We need to get her back. We need to come back. Yes. Yes. So Nine Perfect Strangers, uh, the 10-day retreat at Boutique Health and Wellness Resort, Tranquillum House, promises healing and transformation. Nine stressed city dwellers are keen to drop their literal and mental baggage and absorb the blissful meditative ambience while enjoying their hot stone massages. They are all on a path to a better way of living, or at least a better waistline. These nine perfect strangers have no idea what's about to hit them. Oh, yes. I would like to go for a 10-day retreat at Tranquillum House, at fictional Tranquillum House. That I don't know. I don't I think it's awesome. I don't think good things happen to them. You well, might want to choose not. elsewhere. Yes, mm. but you know, I'll go mm. the week after. So I can't imagine you, you at a health and wellness. You're joking. That would be my idea of heaven for 10 days. Well, that could be a little bit long, but as long as they're doing internet, nothing. No, 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 no. They have to have internet. (laughs) My point exactly. (laughs) But I'd still love to go. No, that's not how it works, Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like heaven, but I will have internet. All right, so if you want your your chance to win a copy of one of um, these uh, three copies of Nine Perfect Strangers by the Yarn Moriarty, go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. And um, entries close on the 5th of October. So make sure you get in. All right. Ow. Do you know, I just don't know if I'm ready for the worst of the week. week. (laughs) (laughs) What if I say no, I'm not ready? What happens then? Do we just fast forward or? No. No, no. I would never do that because I know that you have fans and they would be (laughs) devastated. Devastated. (laughs) All right, so are you ready for the word of the week? So ready. Ah, excellent. All right, the word of the week is bellwether. That's B-E-L-L, bell, weather, W-E-T-H-E-R, bellwether. Do you know what that word means? I do. Have you used it much? I think I probably have used it like in my magazine career, maybe once oh, yeah. oh, okay. or twice. Maybe, right. yeah. Well, it's a it's an unusual word. It might sound like a gong that indicates the weather, like a storm mm-hmm. about, is about to come, but it's not. A weather, as in W-E-T-H-E-R, is actually the male sheep that leads a flock. And so bellwether is a person who allow who who others follow blindly. Mm. So they're like the leader of the pack and people mm. follow them. So you might say, Kim Kardashian is a bellwether of fashion for her many fans. Mm. And um, not that. That's all we need to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so bellwether, see if you can use it in a sentence this week, guys. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who is it? 
Al. Ah, this week we are talking to the lovely Eleanor Limprecht. Now, I met Eleanor at the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival um, when she was on a, a terrific panel about writing historical fiction with um, Jackie French, um, and it was a it was a really interesting panel and much discussion ensued. Um, but she has written uh, some terrific books, um, and this this well, basically, I followed up our meeting at that festival with this interview. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Eleanor Limprecht is the author of three historical novels and many short stories, poems and essays, as well as being a writing teacher and critic. Her first novel, What Was Left, came out in 2013 with Sleepers Publishing. Her second novel, Long Bay, was released in 2015. Her third novel, The Passengers, was published this year by Alan and Unwin. Welcome to the program, Eleanor. Thank you so much, Alison. Thanks for having me. And I'll just correct one thing is that my first novel wasn't actually historical. So anyone who's looking for historical ah. fiction, it's more of a contemporary fiction read. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I got that wrong. So it's two historical novels and one contemporary novel, um, which is interesting yeah. that you've made that switch. So we might talk about that. I'm going to add a question to my interview just so we can have that conversation. Um, but first of all, let's talk about that first novel then. How did that actually come to be published? Um, yes, so it um, it wasn't actually the first novel I wrote. I had been, I'd done a master's in writing at ETS. I'd been working on a novel for a few years and um, and then that was interrupted by having my first child and then I went back to work on the novel and um, and I actually became really compelled by another idea um, which was around it was sort of when it was when John Howard was the Prime Minister and there was um, a woman who left her baby at the hospital in Melbourne abandoned her child it was on Mother's Day in 2007, and he said, how could any mother do that? And that just happened to be the day that I had my first child. Mm. Um, and I was, you know, alone in the hospital because my husband couldn't spend the night. And I was, I'd fractured my tailbone during labor. And I had had a really, and I was having a really tough time. And I thought, how, how can he criticize? He doesn't know anyone's individual experience. How can he criticize that? And so I wanted to write a novel. I decided about a mother who does leave her baby mm. and about why that would happen. Yeah, so that's what my first novel's about. It is about a woman who leaves her baby. She leaves her baby with her husband, but she has a lot um, of things she's dealing with, including postnatal depression. And okay. Yeah. So while you're raising your newborn, you're writing about a mother who left her baby, which, you know, I, I can honestly speaking, I mean, you know, I, I have two boys of my own and I adore them, but I know that there are moments in that first year when you're at home by yourself where I reckon there's, it's a very rare woman who wouldn't have that feeling of, I could just go now. If I left now, no one would. Have yeah. <laughs> yes. So perhaps John Howard. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. So and how did it, you do that yeah, then? How did you juggle that newborn and writing that first well, I actually didn't write it until my daughter was four and my okay. son was two because um, it just took me that amount of time to get it organized and to feel. Um, I was I was still sort of working on that first novel. I had the idea for this one. I was still working on the one that's in a drawer now. Um, I had the idea for what was left. 
And I was just looking for the time to write it. And then I sort of decided um, that I was, because I was doing some journalism, which was originally what I worked as as a journalist, um, I was doing some freelancing and I thought I'm going to um, freelance in, you know, every alternate day and hire a nanny in the mornings and for five days a week and freelance every alternate day and write every alternate day. And I wrote the novel that way. Yeah, so, and I thought the freelancing was kind of paying for the nanny, um, which it probably just did, so it wasn't very lucrative, but it saved my sanity, so okay. <laughs> it, was, it was worthwhile, yeah. All right, so you found a home for that novel um, with Sleepers Publishing. How did that come about? Um, yes, so I, I did originally have an agent, um, and they were sort of trying to sell it, and it was, um, the major publishers said, oh, we, we really love it, but the, it's very dark. The subject mm. is very dark. Mm. And, um, and, um, and so she, this agent that I had said, oh, maybe it's not the right thing, and, um, and I said, well, what about smaller publishers? And um, at that point, we sort of parted ways because it wasn't going to be very um, financially beneficial for for that agent. And so I, the first published, small publisher I sent it to was Sleepers Publishing. And I still remember when I got the call from, from them saying, we love your book and we want to publish it. So. Wow. Brilliant. Because that yeah, is something that, I think that people do overlook, isn't it, that, that often smaller publishers will – will actually take bigger risks on on manuscripts in a funny sort of a way than a larger publisher will. Yeah, absolutely. And I was lucky that, I mean, I still think back on it and think, God, how lucky I was that the first small publisher that I sent it to loved it because I could have easily gotten sort of, um, gotten, what's the word, you know, put off by rejection mm. in that at that time as well but yeah that they are willing to take a risk to to look at something that might not be super commercial but that is a story that isn't out there that needs to be told too okay so with your second published novel you kind of changed direction a little bit there didn't you so do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened with that book it's called long bay yes so um i live in maroubra which is um, which is in sort of to the south of Sydney, south, south, southeastern beaches of Sydney. And, um, and I live pretty close to Long Bay, um, reformatory. And my brother-in-law was working there at the time, um, teaching art as well. So I was quite familiar with it. And I think he said to me that, you know, did you know it used to be a women's reformatory? And I didn't. And, um, I started to look into it. And I was really fascinated by that. And this was at the stage where my first book was had gone to the publishers but wasn't out yet. So I was sort of looking for something to distract me from worrying about it as well. And so um and so I, I started um I saw out at the Western Sydney Records Center there were um there were some books of letters from Long Bay Women's Reformatory and I thought, Oh wow, that would be amazing letters that the prisoners sent. It wasn't that, of course. When I went out there, I drove an hour out there, and and it was actually really bureaucratic letters from the prison's comptroller. But in that book of letters, there was a letter from um, from the comptroller to the Randwick Women's Hospital, um, and they were saying 
please take this prisoner and send her back to us when she's had her baby. And I thought, oh, wow, you could have a baby in prison. Did she get to keep the baby? What was she in prison for in the first place? And my curiosity was really um, was piqued, and I started to look into it, and it turned out she was in prison for manslaughter. Mm. And she had been an abortionist, and she'd um, done an abortion that had killed a woman um, accidentally, and then she actually was pregnant when she went to jail, and she had her baby, and she kept her baby with her in jail as well. So wow. it, it, it was such an interesting story, and I really wanted to write about it, and I had this sort of question, can I write this as nonfiction? Do I write this as fiction? Um, and it turned out there was there were sort of fragments of things, but there wasn't enough to write it as as nonfiction. So I was compelled to write it as fiction to kind of fill in those gaps too, because there were a lot of them in her life. Okay. So when you get a spark of an eye, like you're obviously quite a curious person in the sense that I'm, you know, you, you this sort of, I wonder, and you follow off, you head out to have a look at the records, etc. When you get an idea for a story, where, where do you begin writing something? Like, are you a planner? Are you doing a whole lot of research in advance? Or are you someone who kind of just takes an idea and starts to work through it and, and write it sort of as you go? Yeah, that's a good question, Alison. Um, I think I've changed a little over time. Um, I am a researcher, definitely. Like, I love to read everything I can find about a subject and particularly a lot of social histories and that kind of thing um, and go places and, and look at things. Um, but I'm not a planner as far as the novel structure because um, I think that inhibits the characters from deciding the direction a little bit that the novel will go in. Um, with Long Bay, my second book, it was a little different because it was based on someone's actual life. And and so I did have somewhat of a structure. Um, but I also had to put all of my research aside a little bit with that because, because um, I had to let the character come to life in my imagination too. So I'm not, I think I'm not a planner because I... Um, I need that kind of looseness um, in order for my imagination to take over. Okay. So with um, both Long Bay and The Passengers, you're dealing with a lot of historical detail. Um, are you stringent with those factual details or is your focus always going to be on the story? Um. I am, I, I find, I consider myself stringent with detail and that I always, um, you know, never change dates of battles and wars and things like that. Um, but I, I do, I've found that I'm more flexible than some people in that I do let the characters, like I will change, um, the day that a ship possibly left because it might work in with the story better that, um, it leave on that day and the characters, journey and it is fiction at the end of the day um mm. so i find the emotional truth to be really important however it has to be accurate in that i'm not going to allow you know telephones when there weren't yet telephones and um i love the kind of detail of of what things were called and and the words that existed that no longer exist and the things people ate and you know what they listened to so I really, like, I just want all of that, even if I don't use it in the book, 
I love to find it out. So. so, okay. So you've got a whole encyclopedic knowledge of this stuff. Are you um, researching? Are you researching that before you start to write, or are you kind of doing some of it as you go? Um, I used to, and this is something I, I've sort of changed a bit. I think with Long Bay, I did a lot of it before I wrote. Um, partly because that was part of a doctorate of creative arts too. And, and it was sort of the structure that suited me at that time. Mm. Also, I didn't know much about that period and, excuse me, and I, I felt like I had to learn so much. So I did spend a long time researching first. Um, but lately I've found with the passengers and, and with the novel I've started now, I, um, might take a period of research and then I'll start writing and then I'll go and fill in some of those research gaps and then I'll go back to writing. So I I mix it up a lot more now than I used to. Did you find the switch from contemporary fiction, which was what was left, to um, Long Bay, was, that, was it difficult to do from the perspective of not just switching your own mindset but with your publisher? Because, you know, sometimes if people – bring out a book, you know, the publisher and you, and then you suddenly change directions. The publisher will be like, well, wait a minute, because we've kind of established you here and now you've moved on to something different. It was, was that, was that part of the process for you at all? Or, or were they kind of being a smaller publisher, happy to go with the direction that you had chosen? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question too. I think if, if I was with a larger publisher, I would have had that struggle. Um, I being I was lucky I was with um a small publisher and they were um really lovely publishers and uh, they were they I encountered no sort of no hesitation from them really um they were interested in it too even though they hadn't really published historical fiction either so it was it was um I look back on it now and think yeah I really didn't think about the commercial implications of my audience or my readership or anything like that and they didn't sort of push me to either which was which was lucky at the time and mm. and a really nice thing too mm. yeah um so with your third novel the passengers you're you're back in historical fiction territory so it's obviously an area that has resonated with you it's something that you wanted to do again um is that why do you think that is like what was it about it that what about what was it about this particular story that drew you to tell this story to me it's always um a connection of the personal um so some story that has to resonate with me and then I'm fascinated by untold stories by sort of like I feel like they're almost like little mysteries from from history that rhymes it sounds <laughs> terrible it. <laughs> but you know <laughs> mysteries from history and they're not actually necessarily mysteries but they're just stories that haven't been told and they're whole swathes of experience which we don't read about and they're often um, female experience because we don't often read about that in historical sort of texts and 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 that sort of uh, from those periods of time, I'm just fascinated by those. So the personal with me with the passengers, the personal experience was that 
I moved to Australia for love when I was in my early 20s and I knew nobody and I was, you know, I just, it was sort of one of those things where I'd met someone and I thought, let's give this a go. And when I started to read about war bonds and, and I hadn't really known that there were so many of them from Australia that moved to the U.S., there were around 15,000 of them yeah. during World War II alone. Um, who married American soldiers and moved to the U.S. And I thought they did that, but they did it with with even less, you know, they had no way of really leaving once they got there without great expense and trouble and shame, in a sense. Mm. They had... Um, they had no way of, of, you know, calling their family and speaking to them. And a lot of them couldn't go back home for many, many years, even just to visit because the expense was so great. And they also hardly knew often the men that they had married. They knew them sort of during a time of, of great, um, of great passion and a time of, of where the world seemed to move at a much faster pace. Mm. And then, um, they were sort of stuck in ordinary life in the late 40s, early 50s in the U.S. with um, this man and often his family because they were often living with their in-laws. Mm. And all the freedom they'd known during World War II where they'd worked, you know, and, and done interesting things and, and made big steps as, as women that, you know, in jobs women hadn't worked in before, um, was taken essentially away from them and they were told to work in the domestic sphere and to leave the jobs for the men. Mm. So all of that was so interesting to me and so rich in experience. And I also felt like I could, I could put myself in those shoes as well. Mm. Um, with, with the research, of course, um, of that time. And I was incredibly lucky too in that there, were war brides, they're all war brides from World War II, Australians who moved to America who are still alive and who can tell their stories. So I met a few of them, went to the U.S., and and that helped a lot mm. with the research as I well. Imagine. So with this um, new book, you've moved to a larger publisher. You're now with Allen and Unwin. Can you tell us, you know, why and how that happened? Yes, so um, sadly, Sleepers Publishing closed their doors. Um, they didn't get funding in those sort of funding cuts from um, various arts funding bodies, and they had to stop publishing. And as I, you know, was feeling sad about that, they said to me, well, you should get an agent, and, you know, this is a chance for you to to." open to a wider readership too. And I thought, okay, I can see that. And so I did get an agent and, um, and then there was interest from several publishers for the manuscript of the passengers. And I, um, ended up going with Alan and Unwin with Jane Paul Freeman as an editor because I felt like she really, um, had a lot of, had a lot of interesting things to say about the book and the idea and I really liked a lot of the books that she published as mm. well. And are you working, you're obviously working on a new book at the moment that will also be with Alan and Unwin? I don't know. Yes, I sure don't have them. Um, oh, that was a, that was a single book deal. Ah, um, okay. It was a contract for one book. Yes. Yeah. So uh, if they're interested in it, it will go to them first, of course. Yeah. But, um, so we will all cross but our I, fingers. I, yeah, I like, um, 
I like not having, I like being kind of free to write what you like when you need to write it as well. Yeah, yeah. Excuse my dog. That's okay. Sorry. We're all over dogs here. We love them. <laughs> <laughs> my dog is currently snoozing on the couch as we speak. So I totally, I totally oh. get it. <laughs> um, oh. Now, do you ever feel that your role as a critic, because you do write reviews of, of, of books, of other people's work, um, do you ever feel it interferes with your own writing? Like, do you ever have that sense of knowing that others are going to be critiquing your work and that that somehow hampers you or or not? Um, I, so I've sort of, I've dialed back, back, I'm sorry, I've dialed back on my reviewing a lot mm-hmm. Um in recent years because of that, I think, because it does. Um, I think when I began to review books was many years ago before I'd had anything published when I was working as a journalist and I just read a lot. So they offered me books to review and I said, sure. (laughs) And I think, um, I think I was probably harsher than I would be now. Um, (laughs) because I know the lived experience of being a, an author who has books out as yeah. well. And I think, um, so I probably am not always, you know, I'm probably a more, um, generous now as a reviewer than I was back then. Mm. I also think, um, so I don't, but there are books that I absolutely, um, still do love to review and review on my blogs as on my blog as well. Um, and I've got to say that I think more, more what I find hard to adjust with my, my own creative work is teaching. Um, because I think that can take a lot out of you and can, can drain you to a degree where you kind of maybe don't have as much left for your other work as, as you did. So (laughs) as you'd hope. Yeah. So, or, and, and I wonder, how I, I wonder how other writers find that balance too. Mm. I think. Yeah, I think that uh, most people who teach would agree with that because I think that once you are managing wrangling a class of, um, of students of any any age or you know whatever, with it, when it comes to writing, you're putting out an enormous amount of energy um, and an, an enormous amount of thought process, and I think it does it does interfere with um, what you create for yourself. I, I think most people would agree with that. Um, something else that I find does also hamper the creative process sometimes is the promotion of your work, which is part of the authorial life these days, as we know. Do you like what kinds of things do you do to actually you know get your books out there, and do you actually enjoy that side of being an author? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's another good question. Um, what do I, I don't, so I think, um, I worried about this more in the past than I've, I've tried to sort of kind of stop worrying about it a little. It's impossible to totally stop worrying about, but, um, I do occasionally write blog posts. I, um, try to be in a community of writers, whether that's being active on Twitter and supporting other writers or doing things like that. Uh-huh. Um, but how much promotion, um, when it's time to promote a book, I do make myself available and, and I know that it's going to eat into whatever creative time I have. And, and I think I try to think, well, how lucky am I that people want to hear about my book? Uh-huh. You know, that, 
that is that's true and and I also consider myself really lucky to be able to write so um and I know that those things feed each other yeah um so yeah so I do when I'm when I'm um doing interviews or things like that I think yeah like this is pretty amazing there was a day when I would have dreamed about doing this and and rather than sort of be frightened by it or or resent it because it's taking away my writing time I should put my energy into enjoying it so I do um I do often feel like I do enjoy it now but I think sometimes also there's this um there's this resentment of anything that takes me away from my writing time, which is mm. hard to shake. Yeah. Yes, I hear um, on that. Um, speaking of things <laughs> that take you away from your writing time, um, you have two children. Um, do, you, do you ever find it difficult? <laughs> I, I know what that's like. Do you ever find it difficult to juggle that family life and the work of being a writer? Yes. Um of course, it's difficult at times, and but I also think it feeds into the richness of my life too, in so many ways. Yeah. I think, um, I think well, and a lot of my writing is about. I can't deny that a lot of my writing is about motherhood and about family relations, grandmothers and granddaughters, and mothers and daughters. I'm fascinated by those things and I think without being um have I think part of that fascination came from becoming a mother as I said part of my fascination the, the you know impetus for my first book was was that John Howard sort of saying how could she and me thinking well how can you judge either mm. um so I'm I'm I would I do think that they they um make my life much richer in, in that way as well. And I, and I probably wouldn't be um, writing about the things, some of the things which fascinate me without that. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to finish up today with our famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, um, top three tips for aspiring writers. So perhaps you could hit us with your top three. Okay. Um so I think that my first tip is to um, to find the time to write. My first tip is that you have to sit in that chair and um, and just sit there and sometimes stare out to stare out of the window or you know not go on the internet. That's obvious, <laughs> but you know you have to. You have to sit there sometimes and, and inspiration will eventually come to you. And part of it for me is just, just the sitting. I think that's a tip. Um, or the walking, but the being alone with your thoughts is really important. Um, and that's a big tip for me as a writer. Um, another one is to, to be prepared for rejection and to, and to be sort of, um, steeled for it, I guess, in a way. Mm. Like, I think writers are all pretty sensitive souls and yeah. that that rejection it's getting through it that that is what's successful right I think that the thing that people who have success as writers is they're able to get through that rejection yeah, <laughs> whereas true. a lot of people probably give up mm. and and don't keep persevering so persevere through the rejection that's my second tip 
Um, and my third tip is just always read, I think, mm. because that's, that is to me even more, um, of my life's blood than writing. I just have to always be reading. And, and when I'm always reading, I'm always finding new things that inspire me to write as well. So. Yes, I read voraciously and super widely, so I couldn't imagine a life without books, lots of them. Fantastic. That's why your Twitter handle is, is it Need to Read? Yeah, The Need to Read. The Need to Read. <laughs> so you can follow Eleanor on Twitter at The Need to Read, which pretty much sums it all up for us. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate um, your making the time to have a conversation with us. Uh, thank you so much for interviewing me and for your lovely questions and for dealing with my bad rhymes, which I obviously have <laughs> I love a few your rhymes. of. <laughs> Fantastic. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, there you go, Eleanor Limprecht. That's awesome. So this brings us to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Uh, well, we remember last week I was dusting off and dry cleaning the authorial jacket because yes. I was up to the Burdekin Readers and Writers Festival. Well, this is it. The week is upon us and I'm packing oh. my bag with, you know, with Procrastipup sitting next to me looking sad because he oh. would like to go. But they don't actually allow border collies on the plane, as I tried to explain to him. He's not happy with that at all. Um, so we're off to that. And uh, and then, you know, I'm back and then we, it's school starts. And so I pretty much get off the plane and start making school lunches. Fun. Fun. All right. So um, I think we will be in the air around the same time, possibly, because I am heading to Brisbane uh, before we chat again or around the time that we chat again, um, to help, uh, run a workshop to help about 30 or 40 people um, build their profile. So that should be oh. fun. And they're all authors as well. So their, their wow. books are about to come out. Some uh, Are they coming out? They'll, they'll be coming out soon. So it's all about the lead up on how to build their profile to be able to leverage when their book is actually being released. So that's exciting. Mm. Um, yeah. So make sure, everyone, you let us know what you're doing for Unblocktober. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can find the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au. And where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A L L I S O N T A I T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A L T A I T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and also over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 